This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. It's exciting today. We got a GoBundance member I got to hook up with through our Merge and Ascend program because he came in and delivered tremendous value in our millionaire case study. His name is Brian Glass. He's an investor, a husband, a father, an attorney, and an ultra marathoner or ultra runner, whichever one he prefers. Brian, man, good to have you here. Hey, Jamie, thanks for having me. It's an honor, privilege to be here with you. Wow, that was really, can we start, try that one more time? Because like that sounded really, really corporate. Can we do that? Just do it again. Hey, Jamie, I'm really excited to be here with you today. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah, that was better. That was better. Um, Let's dive in. Let's dive into your backstory a little bit. You've been with GoBundance for a little while now and everything, but you're an attorney, not the typical, uh, you know, GoBundance guy. What's the story there? Why are you an attorney? How did that happen? Give us your backstory. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Fairfax, Virginia, uh, just outside of DC. And, you know, I had a completely normal uh, upper middle class childhood. I went to um, uh, went to undergrad at James Madison and then went to law school at William & Mary, uh, both Virginia schools, and got out in 2008 uh, and had kind of a like what I would consider a normal law job at first. We worked for a general practice firm and we did anything that walked in the door. And, you know, really my first uh, kind of brush with entrepreneurism with that job was they told me that we couldn't take any time off the day before Thanksgiving. My wife's family lived up in Pennsylvania. I was like, screw this. So I, I within three months, uh, sorry, within three weeks, I found another job, gave my notice in December, started the new job in, in January. And I got into the field of auto accident injury work. So I represent people who've been injured in auto, in, injured in auto accidents against insurance companies. And that job is all leverage, right? So there's no hourly rates. There's no flat rate cases. It's all uh, contingency fee based. So the larger the case, the more your effective hourly rate is. And I've been doing that uh, since since 2009. And about three years ago, after being a partner in a firm across town, I joined my dad in his firm. And now we have three lawyers bringing on another one here and actually next week. Um, and we've grown from about six people under roof to almost 20 now in the last three years. Wow, man. Well, yeah, I'll tell you, when I worked in insurance claims, we talked about this before, I always I always thought to myself, man, I did it on the wrong side for, for from everybody, right? Like the attorneys, the insurance agents, it always felt like that was the smarter place to go. Because like you said, a personal injury attorney is not a... It's, I mean, you don't have to sit in an office all the time. Like I remember talking to some guys and negotiating cases. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm down in my summer home in Myrtle Beach or whatever, right? They could be and do it at the time, especially for me, it was not COVID, pre-COVID. It just seemed crazy. Mm-hmm. Like you could do it from anywhere. So you have that flexibility, which is great. What, uh, what brought you to the place where you started to look at uh, other things like real estate and everything? Else? Like wh- where did that come in? Yeah, so I... I consider myself an observer, right? So I listen uh, to a lot of podcasts, either running or commuting to work. And my commute's only about 15 minutes. Um, but but running, I started listening to Bigger Pockets, uh, and I kept hearing abundance mentioned over and over and over. So that kind of brought me to 
to this group. But what brought me to to real estate was just looking for other stuff. Other, you know, everybody in in 2020, I feel like started looking for passive income uh, in the mainstream, and so I started looking there. And uh, we, my wife and I, bought our first short term rental uh, just about this time last year up at a beach in Ocean City, Maryland, and and we've been renting it out this year. And it's done very very well. What um with the with the 2020 in your in your world like I remember when the when it hit claims volume dropped through the floor right like you know there was nobody driving there were no cars on the road like it's just sort of a natural math equation but you've scaled to 20 20 uh, uh plus people in the office now at this point so what was 2020 like for you was it an initial dip or did you I mean there's a bit of a lag on personal injury right it's not yeah. like yeah. what did you see that year how did you survive it or was it was it a pretty good year in terms of uh the industry <laughs> that you're in it was not a good year um <laughs> it was it was really interesting what happened um and, you know, just looking at like what everybody's incentives are. And so what we found initially was that on the smaller and the, the mid-sized cases, they were resolving really, really fast. Uh, so our process is we send a demand package to an insurance company, and usually it's at least a month before they evaluate the case and make you an offer. Well, you're right. There were no new crashes on the road because there were no drivers on the road. And so three, four days later, we were getting offers on these cases because the insurance adjusters were trying to fill up their eight-hour day. Yeah, And so so the small and the mid-sized stuff um, was fine, but none of the larger stuff settled. We didn't have trials in Virginia for 18, 24 months, and all of the big case resolution is driven by having a trial. Um, so, you know, my friends who, who are in like the medical malpractice world where nothing ever settles short of trial, they completely lean for 18 months. Um, we survived. We did okay. Um, but we've had our, our last two years, 2021 and then this year, have been best every years uh, in part because 2020 was so bad. And we had yeah. a big backlog, you know, sure. that cleared in 2021. Do most of your cases actually go to trial? Like you said, the big stuff? I was you, you, So you're saying more the threat of trial or the process of trial that drives it along? Because well, most of the stuff settles before you actually see the jury and go through the whole entire thing. It's going to settle even on the on the on the the what do they call it the steps of the courthouse right in advance of. So how does how does the trial element if if most don't go how does that impact the big stuff not being settled yeah. as quickly? A great question. So having a trial date impacts when the insurance company is going to take a serious look at it. So. You know, if it might be 30 or 60 days before trial that they actually take a look at it. And even if it's a case you know is going to settle, you know, the, the managers who are kind of at the pinnacle of the um the insurance scheme, they only have time to look at so many cases per week. And so you only filter up to their desk within the last month or two months before trial. What so was just ha having that threat was important. What was client behavior like in that time? Were people looking to get paid because of what was happening? You mentioned the small cases settling yeah. insurance companies. I remember it being slow. So it makes sense. Like they were getting offers out pretty quick trying to fill their day. But were clients standing pat more or were they saying, please, just I need to get paid because of what's going on? We actually didn't have a whole lot of that. Um, you know, my clientele tends to be white collar professionals who, who largely kept their jobs and who weren't, aren't living paycheck to paycheck. Um, and so we didn't have it as much as we had it like in the 2008, 2009 um, uh, recession. Like 
we had people who were hurting and needed money now. We didn't really have that in the last couple of years, maybe because of government stimulus checks, maybe because everybody was able to continue doing their jobs from home. Um, it That really wasn't a, a big factor for us. You uh, You talked about pivoting from the job you had as a lawyer where you couldn't take the week off or whatever over to personal injury, but not to your dad, not with your dad at that point. Mm-hmm. Was there a reason for that? And, and you know, if so, why now? Or why when you did a couple of years ago, go work with your dad? What was that? Talk through that a little bit. Yeah, 100%. So when I got out of law school, that was the last thing that I wanted to do was go work for him. I mean, he's, he's a great lawyer, uh, has a great reputation that comes along with it. But I wanted to make my own reputation and make my own friends and my own, you know, way of doing things um, before I came over to work with him. And so... You know, I was about a decade into my career. I was a name partner at the firm that I was working at. And a couple of things came together to make the timing work for us. So his firm had expanded into a larger office space, which is where we are now. My firm had decided not to expand into a larger office space. And then my wife had a really hard pregnancy with our third child and a really hard birth. She had a total blood transfusion, was in the ICU for a while. And so, you know, I had this thought of if I don't do it now, I might never get the opportunity to come over and work for him. So those those three things coming together said, like, this is the time to do it because it might be another five years before, you know, we're making a decision about office space again and and the world's just aligned and, and I moved over. Uh, working with a spouse or any relative can be tough, dividing lines, you know, all that stuff. How do you How do you and he coexist so that, hey, we're attorneys here, counselor, mm-hmm. counselor, but your grandpa and, uh, you know, to my kids when we leave this office, how do, do you have any, did you anticipate that? Did you have any conversations about that? Just sort of talk about the idea of being a partner with a relative. And, that was, um, and it's funny because my wife just started working with us about four months ago. Also, and so I could talk about working with your spouse and working with your dad. But one of the things that we talked about is in the run up to joining together was, Hey, like if this sucks, I can't fire you, right? Um, you can't fire your own kid, or it's difficult to fire your own kid. And so that was a consideration that we have. But frankly, um, we do two totally different things. So I run our auto accident practice. He works in this niche called uh ERISA long-term disability appeals. And we've rarely ever um cross paths on cases together. And so we've been using uh, EOS Traction to work. He's the visionary and I'm the integrator. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're really, really happen to be really well aligned on what the goals are for the firm and where we're going. And so we don't really touch on each other uh, in conflict almost at all. My wife started working with us three or four months ago. Now she's an HR professional. Uh, she'd come from a company that grew from 16 to 80 people this IT company, and then they got acquired by an 800 person company. And so she went from, you know, doing everything and knowing everybody and building a wonderful culture to kind of being a a cog in the machine. Um, And that made her life miserable for, for the year after they got acquired. So she came over and joined us earlier this year. And, you know, it was the same thing. Like, well, what if there's conflict between how you want to do it and how I want to do it? But the reality is I have almost no opinion on any HR issues. Like, Mm. um, 
she's, you know, she has ideas about, well, we should change the 401k and, and do this instead. I'm like, that's great. Go run with it. So it, that they have both worked out really well. And we haven't really had any problems with, you know, it's family and I'm bringing home the work business. Now it's, it's been helpful. I think that in 2021 and 2022, we've had our best years ever, right? Sure. Um, those, those are helpful things and maybe in hard times it gets a little harder, but uh, the relationships have only gotten better since I've been here uh, with family. Yeah, it's fun. my wife, my wife, my wife and I met because she reported to me at the at the evil insurance company, as you guys say on on your side of the biz. Um, we we actually met when I was in law school. I interned at a firm where she was a legal assistant. It was her first job in D.C. out of Pennsylvania, and I worked there one summer, and we started dating. So yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. So it was very full awkward. circle. And then, right, once once it was sort of, you know, known that we were together, obviously she had moved to a different department and then I took over that department and there was a period where she didn't report directly to me, she reported to somebody else, but it was my department, right? So like all of her results were my results. That was weird because I was in boss mode at work, man. It was like, what happened here? Why did this? <laughs> mm-hmm. That wasn't good for the drive home. So good good that you're in separate areas completely. Yeah, and, and the other thing that's been good for us is that we're... <laughs> you know, we're really compatible. Like, um, she's good at things that I'm not good at and vice versa. So when she started working here, everybody's like, Chris is so much fun. I'm like, well, what what have you thought about me the last three years? Like I'm fun too, aren't I? Did you hear your, did you hear your intro today on this podcast? It is a thrill. It is a thrill. (laughs) uh, It is amazing to be here. So yeah, man, you got to up the fun level. If you want to match the wife, it sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, one of those things is you being an integrator, though. I mean, honestly, it's funny that sort of like, you know, that um, that stoic approach, it makes it, it it's synonymous to be in many ways with that integrator type personality. Right. So that piqued my interest. EOS is so popular. Traction mm-hmm. is I, I hear people talking about it, changing the the trajectory of their business and their career. Do you mind deep diving that a bit? First off, let's start with what is traction? Uh, if you let's let's go there. What is traction? Sure. Explain that EOS, all of that. So Traction is a uh, is a book by Gino Wickman, and EOS is a system for how to operate your business. Um, and you know what it looks like for us. We hired an implementer to do it, but you could, you know, in theory, you could read the book and then implement the systems yourself. We found it a whole lot easier to have somebody that we pay uh, a daily, a pretty hefty daily fee to come in and coach us through our quarterly sessions. So. Um, traction, the, the first thing that you do is you sit down as a leadership team with your company and you figure out why are we here? Why are we here and what, what are we doing? What's our core focus? And for us, uh, it's different than what a lot of law firms would say. So most law firms would say something about justice, serving the clients, you know, helping injured people against insurance companies. And yet that's what we do. But really our focus is creating an, a tremendous work environment for our employees uh, we say that our core focus is um, running a great business where people can thrive. And so that means employees and owners, but all of that trickles down to the customers and the clients. So if we're really happy, the owners are really happy that we can make our employees really happy. And if they're really happy, they're going to take care of my clients. So our core focus is not you know, some vague notion of justice and making the world better and, and uh, um, you know, beating down the courthouse doors. It's providing a great opportunity for our employees to do well in their lives. And so 
we work backwards from there to you know what are our revenue targets and then and then what are markers in the ground in the next five years, three years, and one year um, that'll get us closer to that goal. Uh, and so for traction, we have the first couple of meetings that we had, we had what's called vision building days, where our implementer came in and and did you know kind of pie in the sky exercises about what are your core values and what things are you trying to achieve? And then we brought it down to the ground on what do you, what needs to happen in the next three years and the next one year and the next quarter to move you closer to all of those goals. And so we have a weekly meeting with our leadership team where we go over what's called our scorecard, um, the metrics that move us closer to our goals, uh, where we solve issues. And usually for about an hour, we spend, okay, what are the, the issues that popped up this year? We discuss what that issue is. We make a decision about how we're going to solve it, and then we um, and then we figure out how we're going to filter that down to the team and, and let everybody know. Um, and so, you know, we have those meetings once a week, and then every quarter we have an implementer who comes in, runs our quarterly meetings, uh, and then one of the things that we started doing that's not core EOS is the day after our quarterly meeting, we take the team out and we do something fun, and we have a uh, presentation of what what it is we did last quarter where we're going in the next quarter uh, and then we have some fun so this quarter we went and we played pickleball we had a little hour of instruction and an hour of games and, and it was a lot of fun you went from about a zero to a three on the fun meter just now pickleball i did yeah you're going up you're going up you're going up. that's great was it your idea it was not my idea uh down to two down to a two we'll get you there we're going to get to a five before the end of this <laughs> podcast um you mentioned an implementer, hiring an implementer. Where do you find this person? Who is the implementer? Are they traction or EOS certified? Like, what does they, that look like? They are EOS certified. You know, I, I don't actually know where we found ours. We interviewed a couple of them uh, mm -hmm. and we picked one. And then we worked with him for about two years. I'm sure if you Google EOS implementer, you can find the list, right? Um, we worked with him for about two years. And, and he said, you know, after two years, people either naturally go to somebody else or they go and do it on their own or where they decide to continue with me. And we decided to go with somebody else. Um, and the guy that we have running it now has a little bit more of a VC bent. He's in mm -hmm. with a venture capital firm that installs him in every company that they acquire, which was appealing to us, um, you know, for, for growth. Um, and so we're on our second and they're, they vary in price points and they vary in terms of, um, you know, how willing they are to interject their own opinions about what you should be doing versus just facilitating the discussion on your team. So the guy that's doing ours now is is a little bit more likely to interject, well, I saw this work at another company than the guy that we had for the first two years was. What uh, what would you say are the number one and two or one, whatever, however many you want to list, key differences pre versus post uh, implementation of EOS. So today versus before you were here and the business was operating, what are the key differences, results or culturally or whatever, whatever jumps to mind for you? So number one, alignment on where we're going. Um, you know, we started out with a leadership team of, of 75% of the office and we've winnowed it down um, by, by saying, here's where we're going and you're either helpful to getting us there or you're not. And, and a lot of the people that were on the leadership team initially are not on, are not in the firm anymore. Uh, and so number two is getting the right people in the right, <laughs> so getting the right people on the bus and then getting them in the right seat. 
Um, so once you know who's aligned with what it is that you're trying to accomplish, um, making sure that you have the right people on the team in the first place, and then getting them into the right position in the firm. So I'll give you an example. We had a, um, uh, a lady who was working here and she was an administrative assistant and she didn't like conflict. And so, you know, when we were asking her, listen, your, the job is to go to insurance companies and get something out of them or go to doctor's offices and get medical records out of them. It was taking a lot longer than it should have because she didn't, you know, didn't like upsetting the person on the other end of the phone who probably wasn't doing their job. So we moved her into uh, kind of a reception position, but, you know, during COVID, we didn't have very many people walking through the door. Uh, and we just called her the director of happiness, like, because she has this glowing personality uh, and everybody loves her. And so we said, your job now is to make everybody who comes into contact with our office happy whether that's stocking all the employees' favorite snacks or making sure that, you know, on somebody's birthday, they have the cake that they like or a present with their college logo on it, down to, you know, knowing the names of the kids of the FedEx driver and the UPS guy and, and making sure that every time they come to our office, they get something, they get the, the kind of drink that they like to take back on their route. Like, there's no other offices doing that for these people. And so, so we try to be really good at... Um, uh, really good at making the interaction positive for everybody that we touch. I mean, it's it's like in the real estate world, the sphere of influence. Yeah. Um, we try to increase our sphere of influence to everybody that we touch. So uh, getting everybody aligned with where it is that we're going and then making sure that we have the right people. We've had a ton of turnover uh, since we started, but I'll tell you that we've had only one person leave who we wish we could have kept. And she left because the position that she was in, we never could have met her salary requirements and, and what she ultimately ended up being paid at, a, at the uh, real estate development firm that she went to. Makes sense. Okay. The uh, the director of happiness, I, I really like the creativity with that, right? Like that's, you know, what is this? It's the idea of uh, what, like when you coach a football team, right? Like there's, there are coaches who have a system, but their quarterback doesn't work in that system. And they ruin the quarterback because they're, they're tied to their system. And then there are coaches who understand like my system needs to adapt to the talent. And that's what you're doing essentially. When, when you were virtual, how was the director of happiness effective? I would imagine, or were you ever virtual? I'm assuming that for some period you were, but did, go ahead. Yeah, we, we were like hybrid virtual. So at, you know, at the time we had probably 12 or 15 people. Um, and I can't do anything for my house because I got three boys running around there and we had virtual school and they were at home. So yeah. I was coming in. <laughs> my dad was coming in. And I, I, as I remember, director of happiness who lives around the corner from the office, she was coming in too for the same reason. Um, but, you know, so like somebody had to get the mail, right? Um, how was that impacted? That's a good question. And I don't, I don't know that we really did a whole lot with that position while we were virtual, but frankly, Jamie, we weren't virtual for all that long. We yeah. said to our people, if you want to work from home, you can. Um, but if you want to be in the office, then all we ask is that when you leave your office door, when you open the door, you wear a mask. And so mm -hmm. everybody, probably 75% of our people were back within the office within a couple of months. Okay. Makes sense. What, um, what was the hardest part you mentioned about getting aligned on the vision? And I'm trying to picture that for, for, for myself in a business. What was the hardest part of implementation for 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 your company for your business? Well, the people that were not aligned that left. So, mm. uh, so we had a lawyer here who had a criminal defense practice, 
and, you know, was big into criminal justice reform and, and didn't care so much about revenue and profit. Right. Um, and, and that was a problem for the guys that wanted to make it a great place where everybody was thriving. And so just figuring out like, Hey, this is not the best place for you. And he ended up going and opening his own law firm and he's doing great now. Um, but it's hard when the people that have been with you for five, six, seven, eight years uh, see the direction where the company is going and either don't want a part of it or, or you know, want the company to go in a different direction. And the leadership team says, no, this is, this is where we're going. So we really had a, a hard 18, 24 months of conversations before everybody who was still on the team was somebody who was aligned with where we wanted to go. Was there any misalignment amongst the leaders deciding the direction or the vision? Was that a hard exercise for the leadership team to get on the same page? Or were you pretty much, hey, we're all going, we were always rowing in the same direction. We just never set it together. Um, yeah, we've, we have people who were on the leadership team who who elected not to be, and they're still here. Yeah. Um, but just we had conflict in the room. And conflict is healthy, right? Because yeah. otherwise you're just in your room uh angry or you're complaining to your spouse every night. And so, you know, figuring out a way where everybody can be happy and we're going in the same direction, you know, with this idea that we want everybody to be able to do the things that, that make them happy, both in the office and out of the office. So, you know, people come and people go, uh, and it's hard when people who've been here for a long time have to go. Um, but at the end of the day, like everybody who we've fired or let go, um, we've waited too long to for that conversation to happen you know i i don't know what that what happens is as soon as somebody quits or gets fired the rest of the team goes what the hell took you so long like we knew for six months that that person wasn't gonna last year what took you guys so long to make the decision right and the team is happier because they're no longer carrying the burden of of the underperforming employee or, or the guy who wasn't doing the job right yeah, makes perfect sense. The uh, who would you say in in your situation when you guys implemented EOS? Or maybe this is what you learned through EOS. I don't know, but who is the key stakeholder? What role? What position? What person? Who's the key stakeholder for this to really get? No pun intended. Traction. <laughs> key. So I think my dad and I, right, because we're the only owners of the company, um, and he's the visionary, and and I'm the integrator, and so it took me. One of the difficulties that we had is like pulling out of each other. What is it that you want out of this? Because he's deferring to me, right? Because he's like, he's 60, he's in his early 60s and he doesn't know, am I going to practice for another five years and 10 years? And, and we're really now building the thing for my generation. Right. I'm building the firm for my generation. And so he, I think, is hesitant to say, I want to do X, Y, Z because he doesn't know if I want to. And then I'm you know, kind of the new guy here, right? Uh, when we started doing EOS, I had been here for six or 10 months trying to figure out where does everybody work? And I was trying not to rock the boat too much. And so, you know, not saying here's here's really where I want to go, even though everybody else seems to be over here. And so uh, the more that we have talked about what is it that you really want, the, the better we've gotten about it. And, and a book that's really helped us this year in solidifying that has been Vivid Vision. So we each separately wrote our own personal and professional pivot visions. And then we were combining the um, uh, the firm one to roll out at the end of this quarter to the rest of the team. But that's been really helpful to take time by yourself and, and clarify what it is that you want to see 
three years down the road, Brian. <laughs> Sorry, three years down the road. Makes sense. Uh, all right, let's talk about you being an integrator. So I understand the implementer, what they do, they come in on a quarterly basis now and you just switched them up and everything else. I get what a visionary does. Hey, I, I want to make sure everybody sees what we're where we're going. This is the direction. What is your role as integrator? What does that mean? Day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, how do you serve in that position or is to serve in that role? Now, my job is to make sure that our accountability chart is really good. So not an organizational chart um, in the sense that it's it, you can be in several different spots on the chart and to make sure that people are, hold people accountable to doing the things that are in their box as, as we say in EOS, right? So, um, and then making sure that as we're drawing that chart, we're looking at what should the business look like in the next six or 12 or 18 months, not what does it look like today? So you might have Jenny who's doing 18 different jobs, right? But they're not really, uh, there's no connecting string, except that it's Jenny who's doing all of those jobs. And so lining out like, okay, this person is an administrative assistant and the job type, the job duties there are to do these four things. And the fact that she also stocks the snack drawer um, isn't part of that job. It's it's really another job over here that as you're growing, you want to find somebody to fill. So that's number one. And then number two is in, in keeping track of all the numbers, um, mm-hmm. you know, getting getting really granular on how many phone calls does it take to get a consult? How many consults does it take to get a client? And then how many clients does it take to get to your revenue goal? And then how can we, how can we decrease all of those ratios, right? How can we get clients with larger cases so that we need fewer of them? How can we make sure that our conversion is going up? Uh, And just monitoring all of the moving pieces that come with a 15, 20 person firm, right? Yeah. Like we have a marketing team, we have a, an injury team, we have a long-term disability team, we got a bookkeeping team, um, making sure that all of those moving parts are talking to each other um, in a way that makes sense. If I drive through Virginia, do I see billboards with your tan head on it? Ah. Billboards are not really a thing in Northern Virginia. As you yeah. get to Richmond and South, yeah. you're everywhere. Um, but like I was just in Miami last week and it's nothing like that. Like the Florida lawyers are all over billboards everywhere. So our, <laughs> our cases primarily come from internet and then all of our big stuff, like the, it's an 80-20 rule, right? So 80% of our cases uh, are internet and word of mouth, but that probably makes up 20% of the revenue. Yeah. 20% of our cases are referrals from other lawyers and family and friends uh, of former clients probably. And that makes up 80% of the revenue. So all of the big stuff is is always referred by somebody else. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, let's dive into your investing career. Like you said, you just kind of started in the in the pandemic, getting interested. You have an Airbnb. What um, what's the what's the vision there? Speaking of, like in your vivid vision that you put together, is mm-hmm. is scaling a real estate portfolio part of that, or is it more of a lifestyle vision? I'm curious what you what you're yeah. looking at in terms of real estate. Yeah, it's a hundred percent a lifestyle vision. So. You know, I started uh, before we bought our Airbnb, I was investing in syndications um, and finding deals on CrowdStreet's website. And it it was easy for me to put, you know, 25,000 here, 25,000 there. Um, It's it's not an insignificant amount of money, but it's not going to make or break. Like I can go out and make another 25,000 if the deal goes to shit. Right. Um, And so then kind of tracking 
quarter over quarter, the drip, drip, drip into the bucket uh, to try to displace some of the active income if we need to. And again, at the time, you know, we were looking at getting my wife either out of her job entirely or, or downscaled to a part-time position or something with a lower, lower pay. Um, and we had been talking for a while about buying a beach house. And she had a friend who owned a couple of houses at a lake or who owned one house at a lake that did so well that he then bought another house at the same lake. Mm. Uh, and we're like, oh, that's interesting. Um, and then we, at the end of the pandemic last year, not the end, I guess, but <laughs> the end of the summer last year, um, bought this house at the beach. And, you know, I think I said when we were talking with the Emerge program, like I consider myself the accidental investor. Like mm. it just happened to be a really good purchase for us. Um, we were talking with a guy in the same complex who owns 14 units in that area. And he's like, my wife, I really wanted to buy this one. My wife wouldn't let me. Um, and you probably got it for 10% under market value. And then at my very first GoBundance local event, somebody told me about the short-term um, uh, cost segregation depreciation rule that let me write off virtually all of my active income from 2021. Um, so I really, I think, lucked into that, uh, both the unit and the tax deal. And so now we're looking again to do another one in 2022, you know, either at the beach again, where we have a team in place, like I have a cleaning team, I have a handyman team, or my preference would be to go West and go into the mountains somewhere so that we can start populating this, have a vacation place here. I have a vacation place here. I have a place I can go here and have it truly be a sustaining um, lifestyle investment where you know, that the income pays for itself and then I can go wherever I want and not, you know, be paying somebody else when I go on vacation. So who's, who's preference then if yours is to go to the, another location, whose preference is to stay in the beach uh, town mm-hmm. with the systems and processes? Is that your wife? That's my wife's. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The, the ease of, um, in our family, like I'm the visionary and she's the integrator. So she would be dealing with finding all of the other parts. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I'm like, oh, I wrote this uh, great uh, ad or not ad, but I wrote all the content for the Airbnb and the Verbo uh, website. And it's attracting all these people. And now you got to deal with it. Like <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll deal with everything on the front end, but you got to find the cleaner and you got to find the handyman. So that falls on her. And I think she doesn't want to do it. Um in a new market just yet. Um, but that's the discussion that we're having in the next month or so. Well, it's actually, it, it goes back to the vision real quick and then we can pivot and talk a little bit about family maybe, but you're, you're, you created a vivid vision for you, for the business. Then you have kind of the firm's vivid vision. The vivid vision for you, is it for you or was there some level of enrollment between you and your wife and what your combined, or is that another vision that you have for the two of you? Like, how do you enroll one another and make sure you're on the same page? Yeah, that's that's been the thing that we're trying to figure out. Yeah, um, aren't we all? Yeah, and and I've heard this from a couple of guys, where you know we you make these big plans and you try to get your spouse to participate in the making of the plan, and it's hard to get them to an, enroll in it. What she and I are finding out uh, is that she's really good at the doing, and so if I can just set us in motion towards a goal. She's really good at executing on all the things as long as she's okay with the goal. What I don't think she likes doing is 
thinking bigger about what if we had a place here, 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 and here, because she sees all of the things that would have to happen to get there. And I see what if we had a place here, 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 and here. So uh, that's a great question about enrollment. And then I've been working on how do we start having that discussion? Although we were just down in um, in Miami, we were in Bahamas uh, last week on a cruise. And she said to me, ah. I'd really like to start meeting like once a month and going over what we have, where it is and, and what's going on with it. Like, this is what I've been asking for for three years. So I'm so glad that you're on this page. Like, let's put that on the calendar. That's where that explains the tan now, too. Yeah. Bahamas. Okay. Yeah. And I have a little, I have a backwards hat sunburn right here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to go to the land of a guy like me getting burned. If I don't fully protect myself at all times of the day, I could step outside and be set on fire. So uh, yeah, hopefully I, hopefully <laughs> I avoid that at least. Um, no, it's, it's a great point with, uh, with the spouse. Cause it is, it is, but something you said there really, really was interesting to me because you, you said this about your business with the director of happiness. And then you just sort of said the same thing with your wife. Uh, which feels like it's a mindset that you're either evolving into or that you have, which is how do I position the people in my life in the areas in which they're the best equipped to be? You know, like to your point, I want to have a here and here and here, but she sees the challenges with that and sees scalability in one market. So, okay, how do I then position her, you know, in some way to 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 get to be to be fully in her gift while I can still go about the longer term uh, uh, building of my vision or whatever, right? So you're, you're, you seem to have a thing where you'd like to put people in positions where they thrive as opposed to square peg round hole. Is that fair? It's fair. And I, I have to tell you that it's, it's new to me within the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, you always hear, you hear about like the way to get what you want is to get a thousand other people what they want, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that never resonated with me until I got to a certain point of financial stability on my own. And now that I'm there, I'm like my goal now is to help my team all elevate, help help my wife elevate. Like now that I feel pretty good about where I am, I I want to bring other people along with me. So yeah, that's that's new to me. Um, probably within the last twelve months, and it's the product of some coaching and and some culture things that we have here. Um, but a hundred percent, like if I feel like I'm in a place now where most of my day is spent doing stuff that I enjoy doing and I want to help other people get to that place. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, when I unpack my corporate career uh, and you know, I, the, it's not wrong or right, but for me, at least what I always struggled with and didn't know it, but I, you know, after, after leaving and thinking back on like, what was it about it that just never really ever clicked? Like I never, never was me, but I did it for so long. And one of those was job descriptions, you know, like you have to have them. I'm not saying you can't have a job, but the job description was always like, this is the box fit in it. Right. And like, these are the eight attributes that the person will possess. And it's like, I, you find the right person. Sure. But often, mm -hmm. you know, Maybe they're good at four or five of those things. The other three, not so much. But there wasn't there wasn't an ability for that person to make the decision on what they could what they could you know not do or delegate or hire in often because well no you, this is your staff this is what you can get. Whereas I feel like what you're learning and what I'm learning really or what you've learned and what I'm learning is um, you know why don't you look at the skill set of the individual and what their genius is and then build the expectations of what they do behind that right like that to me feels mm -hmm. like the more. And again, I don't know the answer if you're in a large corporate environment or you have a big company, 
I don't know the answer to like, well, we got 800 people. I have to evaluate each one and come up with something custom. No, but there's something in that that just didn't work for me. And maybe maybe that's exactly it. I'm not built to be in a 800, like your wife, right? I'm not built to be in an 800 person organization. I like the startup small space or whatever it may be, but that was always a disconnect for me. It was fit in this box. Well, for me to fit in this box is what I get. No, 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 no. Fit in this box and do these things. Like, well, then what, what creative outlet do I have? None. Fit in this box and do these things. That always bothered me. You look like you want to say something. Go for it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's part of why I like doing what we do, right? Yeah. Um, is it's not um, so my work is there's some formula to it, but it's really not all that formulaic. And there's so many different levers that I can pull in terms of you know, putting more dollars in a client's pocket or moving a case along a little bit faster. Like I, I really enjoy not being on the conveyor belt of here's here's what's gotta happen next. Yeah, 100%. I'm with you on that. Let's go through some of the pillars here. So we talked about uh, wealth. You've got the business that you own. You've got some real estate that you purchased. You're going to purchase more where your wife doesn't want to because you're defiant as an entrepreneur. That's what I heard. <laughs> so all of that's there, right? You have no fun in your life. Uh, we got all that. Your wife, your wife uh, uh, you've been married for how long? And tell me about the tell me about the boys. You have three boys. Done? More coming? Uh, we, a little bit of that. Yeah, so we've been married for 13 years and we're done. <laughs> Uh, kind of as a result of that third pregnancy, but we were done either way. Um, and I, <laughs> I, I'll tell this story, and, and hopefully I won't get in trouble for it. But I remember being um, uh, being in the ICU with her right after, yeah. and uh, and I'm having this conversation with her OB, the OB surgeon, who's like, I'm you know I'm explaining all this anatomy. Uh, what is it that you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a personal injury lawyer. She's like, oh shit. <laughs> and I, her face kind of drops. Um, and, uh, and so then I, I got the medical record later and it's like, husband is a personal injury lawyer and three lines down. It's like, and he says they had three kids and this was going to be the last kid anyway. So, um, so we they have were prepped. <laughs> Sorry. They were prepped. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. The CYA, uh, yeah. Medical. anyway, we have three boys. They are nine, seven and and the little one just turned four. Um, so my house is very, very loud. Yeah. Uh, everybody's into sports. My older one is playing soccer. I coach his soccer team. The middle one plays um, baseball. I'll go help out where I can. And and the little one, we're like, just trying to hold off for as long as we can before we have, you know, three, three sports on three different fields on a Saturday afternoon. Outside of that, obviously the timing part of it, what's your biggest challenge as a dad of three boys? <laughs> My biggest challenge is that they all love mom more. Mm, mm, <laughs> like, mine too. It's, it's yeah. so Jamie, we'll be sitting on, on the couch watching a movie and we have this big uh, L shaped couch and I'll be, you know, on, in one corner and she'll be in the other and all three of them will be on top of her. And like, I get my feelings hurt sometimes with that. <laughs> um, like, does anybody want to come with dad? No, we want to stay over here. We, oh. That'll, that'll get you some ice cream on this couch over here. No, we're good with mom. So that's challenging. Um, Why do you think that is, though? What do you, what do you think? I, my, my older one is coming around to me. He's seven. The younger one, though, he says it to me all the time. I love mommy a lot. I love you a little bit. <laughs> he yeah. says that to me. And he says, I love my, my brother a little bit. But he seems to feel like you can only have maximum love for one person. And then everybody else can get a little love. That's what he says. Like, I love the dogs a little bit. You a little bit. My brother a little bit. My mom I love the most. But what um, what do you think that is? Why do you think your kids might, you know, 
like seek mom at this point? Well, I think number one, mom's more fun, right? <laughs> and number two, there's, there's something about boys to moms and and uh, girls to dads, and I don't have yeah. any girls, so. Um, but I, you know, so I try to compensate for that by doing everything uh, for the mm. at least for the older two, all their sports stuff, uh, like this spring i coached two soccer teams uh so i was on monday wednesday with one tuesday thursday with the other and we we're doing you know two soccer games on saturday and i, I would have been there anyway like spectating but i would have been able to trade off who's taking them to practice so yeah. you know, i try to compensate for that by by being involved in everything that they do like i help out with their cub scout uh troop even though i'm like the least handy dad there it's like um how do you start a fire? I have, I have no idea. Like give me some matches and, and a newspaper and I can get a fire going. But if we're in the woods, you know, we don't have any of that stuff. Um, so I try to be around as much as I can for them. And unfortunately I've built a business where in the spring and in the fall, I can leave at four o'clock every single day and go coach them. Cause my dad did that for me. Yeah. Um, but that's, yeah, my, my challenge is like making, trying to get my kids to like me a little bit more every single day. <laughs> Be more fun, man. Be, you know, honestly, my challenge, I have two boys. So we have we're boy dads in that regard. And my challenge is is uh is getting into a place of um, you know, raising men and, and what that means, right? Because I if you were to just if you were to go Neanderthal, like like my dad to me, just down down line, down the line conditioning, it's you know, uh uh don't cry, be tough, uh, don't don't complain, go hard, work, right? Like be men kind of thing but mm -hmm. we're in an era thankfully of a bit more of an enlightened view i think on masculinity i believe you know vulnerability is a component i just had an interview with a guy uh mike Ligori, who's going to come out he wrote this this book the road uh road ahead of miles behind he uh he did a road trip with his dad to heal some you know some real tension in their in their relationship and I, you know i'm listening to him and i'm thinking about that with my kids like you know i i i think in my worst moments and that doesn't sound right in my in some moments, the my dad comes out of me because I see something, right, that they are boys and they should or shouldn't be doing. And then they need to listen to me because I'm the man in this house, mm -hmm. right, kind of thing. Like that that comes right out of me. So my challenge is, is trying to, you know, understand the healthy boundaries of that. I think my wife and I talk about this. I mean, talk, I'll say. <laughs> There's a... There's there's a balance of the energy I bring versus the energy she brings. It's the beauty, and I think why the the functioning household is better with two parents in it. That masculine and that feminine energy of balance for your kids. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know how 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 far I stretch that boundary, and if it's healthy or if it's not, I struggle with that. I don't know. I don't know when I'm creating trauma. <laughs> is what right. it boils down to, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and the other thing you so you said your dad comes out of you. But like I can see myself at their age in them, and it's always it, yeah. always what you notice is the worst traits. You're like, yeah. like I was painfully shy when I was um, when I was nine, and I my nine year old is painfully shy. And, and you want to like, come on, nah, you know, yeah. right? Yeah, I know, I do the same. Dude, That's every everybody in the room is nervous to talk to people. Like, go just go talk to people. Yeah. Uh, but I, I was the exact same way. Yeah, but you push it, right? My, my I was uh, I was very. Um, I, I guess kind of an empath as a kid, right? Like, oh, let don't don't get in the way. Don't ask somebody at your friend's house. Don't ask the mom and dad for water. That's inconveniencing them. Like I had this sense that I could not, you know, mm -hmm. I could not bother anybody. My older one has a bit of that. And I I find myself overcompensating in trying to kind of coach him through it. Yeah. Like you said, because I don't want him to feel what I feel like I felt. Feel it. Yeah. 
back then. That's a really interesting perspective. You know, yeah, balancing that I think is important, right? Like, yeah, your dad comes out of you, but at the same time, remember who you were, and that probably the answer probably lies somewhere in there. Interesting. Yeah, hundred percent. So tell me about GoBundance. You joined. When did you join? I forget. How long ago? I joined in in December. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. What um what has it been for summer. you? Why? What experience? You know what what has it done? If anything, any change in your life that you've seen? I'm just. I always like to ask guys the whole tribe of millionaires. How has it been being a part of a tribe of millionaires? So it's been really, really, really good for me. So I, it's made me, I think, much more well-rounded, um, and and maybe a little bit less um, focused on the financial uh, aspect. Although that's that's been like I told you, I got that tax tip, yeah, event number one, which paid for the next seven years of abundance. So, <laughs> um, right. Uh, but you know, the focus on, uh, so I'll tell you what it's been. It's been leveling up the group of friends, right? Mm. So my pod and I, we talk about um, family, talk about, like we were talking about love languages with our wives. I've never in my life talked to three other guys about what is your love language and how does your, you know, how do you express it to your wife? So, um, so just having permission to have those kinds of conversations with people has been really, really helpful to me. And, you know, having the well-rounded focus on fitness and, and contribution, it shines the lights on the parts of your life that that you're not so good at. Like when you have to fill out a one sheet and you go, man, I gave away zero dollars last year. Like, here's what I made and I didn't give any of it away. Um, that's uh, it, it shows you where you ought to be growing and, and where you're not. And then having people you know, you can walk into that room and, and have massive imposter syndrome about like, holy shit, look at how much money that guy has and how many horizontal streams of income. Um, but once you get over that and you realize everybody has those dark spots that they're working on and you can help somebody out, like it, it's been really, really good for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, I, um, I came to realize that when you start growing in a different direction from your friend group, your regular friend group, like you said, you level up your friends. Um, you can only, you, you start to chip away at the percentage of you that you can be with them. Right. So, you know, at some point, you know, they see you're investing in real estate, you're building a business, you know, you're having some financial success. So when I come to the conversation, like I always have with like, oh man, I'm struggling with this. I don't have permission to struggle anymore. Right. With my regular group of friends. So it's like, mm-hmm. struggle, man, you, you know, this, you go on vacations, you do what you do. You know, so you just sort of whittle away at your ability to be all of you. And I think the relief a lot of guys feel coming in, me, I've been here for four years almost, right, is is I can, that other percentage of me that's been kind of whittled down that I can't show up with, I can show up with. Like you said, talking about love languages with a, bu- a bunch of other guys, you know, I think for somebody who's not in GoBundance, that might sound a little strange in as much as, isn't it about like, you know, wealth building and, you know, go jump off cliffs and, and yeah, but a lot of mm-hmm. that comes from being able to bring your whole self to it, so. Yeah, that's amazing, man. I'm glad to hear it. And it's been great connecting with you. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah, um, I, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, a- just, having, just having permission to have those conversations, right? Um, and to, you know, to your point about kind of leaving behind the people that you would like, I, I bought a, a vacation property and people started calling me Donald Trump. Kind of rockets. Like, yes. What, what is always, what's always bothered me um, is that you know, I've had very few people ask, like, how did you do that? Uh, at least with respect to how many people have some kind of a slight comment about like, oh, it would be nice if I Must could buy a nice. vacation. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, and, and you know that there's plenty of guys that have done it with no no money down and, yeah. and you know, 
and no financing. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, just asking like, okay, how did you do that instead of being jealous or, uh, or putting somebody down, just being in a room where that's the norm is exceptional. And the norm is asking, how did somebody do that? Has yep. been I think life-changing for me. Amazing. I love it. Well, we'll wrap this up with a question from the GoBundance card game. I told you that um, I want to get you to a five on the fun meter by the end of this podcast. So here's the question. It's the king of diamonds. That matters not at all. Tell a joke. Tell a joke. Tell a joke. Let's let's get your chops here. We can edit out dead space. So I'll wait here as long as you need to for you to come up with a joke. Something's beeping in my house, too. I hope everybody's okay out there. But go for it. Tell a joke. So I'll tell you my my go-to joke. There's a there's a guy uh walks into a bar and orders a drink and he sits down and he says, You see that that yonder fence over there? I built that fence with my own two hands, took me two months. But do they call me Scotty the fence builder? No. You see that house over there? Built it with my own two hands. Took me four years, but do they call me Scotty the house builder? No. You see that driveway? I put that driveway down with my own two hands. Took me six months. They call me Scotty the driveway builder. No. But you fuck one goat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I was going to take points away for whatever that accent was. But the joke. We give you a five, my friend. Everybody watching right now, <laughs> drop it in the comments. What number? What level of fun is this guy after that joke? That's amazing. Incredible. Brian, how can people reach out, learn more about you, find your practice, whatever you want to deliver? Yeah. So so best way is probably on Instagram. Brian Glass ESQ, like, like Esquire uh, on Instagram. Um, and then we're in Northern Virginia. So if you're in a crash in Northern Virginia, give me a call. <laughs> Got to get a billboard up. Brother, I appreciate you coming on. Always great connecting and uh, keep the tan. It looks good on you. All right. Thank you, Jamie. All right. Well, that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that $1 to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.